0: Hi there. In advance, uh, I am going to tell you right now there is not going to be a sponsored segment in this particular podcast on Charles Manson and his effect his effect on music and the way he tried to have a musical career himself, and that is due to the sensitive nature of the podcast. As as I was doing my research and as I started talking about it, it, it started just I, I just started not feeling right about the idea of. Putting a sponsored segment in, especially when I got to the part where Trent Reznor was talking about, uh, you know, using the the Sharon Tate House to record some of his music. So you're not going to hear a sponsored segment from Anchor or anybody else. Just wanted you to know that in advance. And here comes the the intro music. Once again, and welcome to Reverb with Paul Walker. I am your host, Paul Walker, which you should probably guess that by the title. Anyway, a uh, couple of things I, I want to talk about. I'm not going to be able to play people's music on this podcast so readily. I've had problems with. I thought I'd be able to play po- people's music from Spotify Premium. But I can't do that and monetize my content at the same time. I can't play ads and I can't have listener support turned on if I'm going to be playing Spotify tracks. And the whole reason for that is I guess it's copyright issues, so it's not technical issues. And I said some some kind of mean things about the people at Anchor that I was going to yell at them. And people at Anchor, I'm very sorry um, I I apologize. Will you, will you please give me a big forgiving hug? <laughs> anyway, let me get to my notes here. Uh I have a segment that I'm going to call I'm going to call it Walker's Radar, which is new music on Spotify and other things that have come across my desk that I think are relevant to a podcast on music. First of all, we have Rise and Set. A new EP by As Is on Spotify. Record Day, a new single by Kind Regime. Minima, the new album by Many Elephants. Sour Trap, a new album by Sour Rap. Sacrifice, which is a new single by Alien Blaze. Concrete, single by Poppy. Yes, that Poppy, the one that's no longer on good terms with Grimes. But I'm I'm not gonna get into that. Also this weekend on Twitter, fans were mourning and remembering singer Aaliyah under the hashtag Aaliyah. She died eighteen years ago this weekend in an airplane crash. Which is very tragic compared to the way some singers die, some musicians die. Like I, I it makes me think of Randy Rhodes. See in the, in the case of Aaliyah and Randy Rhodes, Randy Rhodes being, he he was friends with Ozzy. He was Ozzy's guitarist, I believe. Anyway, these two they died, not because of anything that they did to themselves, not because of any self destructive behavior. There was no overdose. There was no drinking and driving and going off a cliff. There was no no heroin. No cocaine uh there was it was just fate and sometimes that's just the way it is you've got to you've got to live as long as you can but make every moment your last because you just never know you just never see the bullet that has your name on it not that it's always a bullet but you, you just never know when you're when it's gonna happen You could be on top of the world and get hit by a bus. (laughs) And you just never know when you're going to... Well, sometimes people do know. Sometimes they have an idea, but a a lot of times they don't. They just have a great day, and then the next day it's just stumble and fall into the grave, basically. I don't know what to tell you. That's life. That's life. The universe does... Not care, it just plays dice with everybody. And the final thing that uh, I came across my radar this weekend, I don't know when Donald Trump said this, but he was blaming mass shootings on video games. (sighs) Yeah, yeah. like we haven't been down this fucking road before. You know, one minute... It's Anita Sarkeesian saying video games are are bad and and cause rape culture, and then and then it's Donald Trump and and going way back to like the eighties and nineties. There were people saying all this crap about video games, you know, f- especially first person shooter games. No, those are bad. If you play one of those, you're you, once you're done, you're gonna you're gonna go out and you're just gonna grab a AR fifteen and you're just gonna shoot people at random because. Video games have that much power, according to these people. Yeah, the research shows that there is no correlation between video games and violence. You know, it's like a long time ago, people used to say that marijuana made people violent, and I have not found that to be true at all. Now, what, what do you, what does video games and, and Trump saying stupid shit have to do with music? Well, Jimmy, let me explain. The same kind of people that come after things like video games sooner or later come after music. You remember the Satanic Panic of the 1980s and the 90s? That never really stopped. So there's going to be... I just look any day for various moral guardians to start bitching and moaning. Matter of fact, they already have. You know The latest thing now, and it's not just heavy metal or punk or the old standbys in this decade it's pop music. Now a lot of people think that it, it, there's this satanic Illuminati conspiracy conspiracy theory. You know, it's like, if they see you put, if they see you in a picture, putting your hand over your eye, that means you're a pawn of the, a tool of the Illuminati, a willing tool. And you're going to, you're, you're trying to market evil to people. Matter of fact, there, there's some people that are actually exploiting this. Poppy. Have you ever seen the highlight of my low life, that video for that song? Maybe you're the highlight of my low life. She purposefully, her and Titanic's a purposefully use Illuminati type imagery to bait these people. <laughs> you know, they're mocking them. So there's that. And right now, I just want to take a moment to say that I can't be playing music to remind you that I can't be playing music from Spotify on here. But if I do interview you and you want me to play some music on this podcast, some of your music, then I'm going to set something up where you could email me the music. And I promise that I, will, I won't. Try and re-upload it on SoundCloud or something as my own work. This is your receipt right here for that. I'm not going to do anything like that. I would only use it for the purpose of the interview. And, you know, this is my guest. This is their music. I wouldn't do anything shady because I don't want to get a... I don't want to be the subject of a DMCA takedown notice. And I don't want my reputation ruined before I've even hardly built it. But anyway, let's get on to talking about Charles Manson. A lot of you people are probably thinking, Okay, Paul, what the hell does Charles Manson have to do with music? Well, Jimmy, I'll tell you. I'm not going to go into Charles Manson's crimes, first of all. I'm, I'm not going to go too deeply into that. You all, if y'all don't know what he did back in 1968, y- y'all better get yourself uh, an internet connection and... You need to Google some shit. But back in the day, sadistic cult leader, and murderer Charles Manson, he left behind a legacy of manipulation and conspiracy theories and ruthless killing. But before he was sentenced to life behind bars, he aspired, get this, to be a professional musician. He and his cult, the Manson family, They spent time with some of the most significant artists of the late 1960s. His own debut was a studio album, and it was an abysmal commercial failure, though. He also grossly misinterpreted several Beatles songs as a motive for his murders, and esteemed rock stars subsequently invoked his image and likeness to court their own controversy in later years. But he he traced his motive for the killings back to the Beatles' White Album, On August 9, 1969, he ordered his members of the family to kill a house full of people. I'm not going to go, like I said, I don't want to go in too deeply into that. It was horrible. Shouldn't have happened. But the following night, five members of the Manson family stabbed a grocery store owner to death, along with his wife in their home. And at both locations, the murderers scrawled the words, Rise, piggies, and helter-skelter across the walls and the doors in their victim's blood. Manson believed that several songs on the Beatles' White Album were messages to him, and that they were foreshadowing a horrible apocalyptic race war, which was going to, you know, just reset society. It was going to be like a reset button, I guess they thought. It's stupid cult thinking. He thought that Helter Skelter referenced the the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse from the Book of Revelation. And he told the Rolling Stone in 1970 that Revolution 9 and Piggies predicted a violent overthrow. He also cited uh, lyrics from Rocky Raccoon. Gideon checked out and he left no doubt to help with Good Rocky's revival. That was just more evidence to him that there was going to be this great, big upheaval in society, and his whole work with his cult was to to try and kickstart that. He wanted that to happen. like I, I guess he wanted a, a reset of everything and in his delusional state of mind, he worked toward that, and he was charismatic enough. To get other people to go along with it, he knew how to manipulate people. He knew how to get inside their heads. He knew how to push their buttons and make them do what he wanted. Which, <laughs> oddly enough, a, a good performer can do that too. Like you think Jim Morrison and and Ozzy Osbourne and any any great performer that you can name. They know how to do that. They know That's what I try to do. I don't try to get people to do something negative. But and I'm not saying I'm a great performer. I, I'm not going to I'm not going to hold myself up along with people like David Bowie who was who was great at what they call sound and vision. But yeah, I mean he he had he had charisma and that's something that you need as a performer. But unfortunately, he derailed that. <laughs> he took the wrong path. He, he chose wrong. And I cannot emphasize that enough. He chose wrong. Anyway, uh, he released, as I said, one unsuccessful studio album in 1970. He met a record producer and tour manager named Phil Kaufman, and they both served time in the while well, they both served time in the Los Angeles County jail. Kaufman moved in with the Manson family in 1968, and he urged Manson to record some of his songs, which culminated in his debut studio album, Lie, The Love and Terror Cult. The album cover virtually recreates the December 19, 1969 cover of Life magazine, which had Manson and the line, The Dark Edge of Hippie Life were removed. And... Honestly, I I've heard some some of it actually it it sounds like some of the songs you know, were rather dark, but they weren't that bad. If if he'd stuck with it instead of instead of doing what he did and getting others to kill for him, he he might have been big. <laughs> you know, I mean, th- there there are some odd people <laughs> in performing in music like prince prince was weird remember prince he was a genius but he was weird and and this is this is another little lesson for you to be successful at a lot of things in life you have to be weird <laughs> you know if you're really good at something oftentimes you're weird about it you're a like you know say you're a brain surgeon and you're really good at it you're probably a little strange a lot of people don't know that but like think about that somebody likes you know opening up people's skulls and they like fixing their brains they like delving into people's gray matter and you know that's that's one example and people in the performing arts that's another you know i mean marilyn manson he he's weird as hell you know, and i'm i'm sure a lot of my fellow musicians are listening to this and they're li- they're looking in the mirror and they're 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 thinking about some little weird aspects of their own psyche and you know I've got I've got my little weird aspects but I, I won't go into that on this podcast anyway it was released on March 6, 1970 while Manson was held on the murder charges and it was it was a miserable commercial release it di- it didn't do well I thought some of the songs, like I say, were actually kind of good, but the record only sold 300 of the 2,000 copies that Kaufman originally pressed with his own money. After uh, failing to secure major label support, the album still remains a popular cult collectible among people who are interested in that kind of memorabilia, which, ah, I don't get it. I don't get it, don't ask me to explain it. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather like, you know, if I was going to buy memorabilia, I'd rather buy, say, something that, uh, you know, members, you know, I'd rather buy a Dixie cup that the members of KMFDM once had in their tour bus or something. You know, If I was going to buy rock star memorabilia or any kind of memorabilia like that, not that Manson qualifies as a rock star. One of the weird things that often gets glossed over when people are talking about Charles Manson is that he lived with Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys for a while, and he co-wrote a Beach Boys song. Yeah, you heard me right. I'm, I'm, I'm not bullshitting you. This was an actual thing. And in, in the summer of 1968, Beach Boys drummer Dennis Wilson picked up two hitchhikers who belonged to the Manson family. A couple of girls, I believe. Manson had a lot of women in his cult. I I guess Manson just really knew how to push their buttons better. I guess he was kind of a player. I don't know. But uh, according to family member Diane Lake, Wilson dropped the women off at their home and went inside to meet Manson. And for a while, Manson and Dennis Wilson, they were pretty good buddies. I mean, they would... They would talk about music for hours and they would smoke dope together. And you know, it's, it's kind of sad. Usually, usually marijuana <laughs> tends to make people less violent, in my experience. You know, it's like you get... A good example of this is like Bob Marley. Bob Marley never met a joint that he didn't like and he was one of the most peaceful men around. So don't think that just because Charles Manson smoked marijuana and that he did all these horrible things that marijuana is bad. I think it should be legalized. Just legalize it already, goddammit. But anyway, the family quickly moved in with Wilson, who provided everything they needed, including an exorbitant medical bill, when gonorrhea spread through the house. Yeah, wow. Manson and his family basked in their newfound life of luxury, while Wilson caught in the throes of a nasty divorce from his first wife, relished the opportunity to live freely and adventurously. Yeah, talk about your bad life choices. (laughs) Bringing in a a cult leader and and his pals to live in your house and and get uh, have a bunch of unprotected sex and spread STDs all over. That's, I don't know what to tell you. But anyway, Wilson later invited Manson to record some of his songs in his studio, which was an exciting prospect for both men, but it quickly went south. It went off the rails real easy because Manson was just not very stable. He didn't appreciate Wilson's producers tampering with his music and eventually pulled a knife during the sessions. Yeah, I I, I would love to have seen... <laughs> Just for my own curiosity, I would love to have seen that, you know, just because, I don't know, I don't know why I would have liked to have seen that. I mean, I'm glad nobody was hurt, but it just gives an insight into how weird Hollywood can be, how weird California, the the California music scene can be. The family, the Manson family, moved out shortly thereafter because I guess they were kicked out. <laughs> I'm guessing that Wilson was not happy because he had more than one hundred thousand dollars in medical bills, damaged property, and stolen personal items. Yeah, that's what you get. That's what you get. You gotta be, when you like let people hang out in in your house. You better know who you're letting be your roommates. The drummer got his revenge in the end, though. In September 1968, the Beach Boys reworked Manson's Cease to Exist song, altering some of the lyrics and rechristening it, Never Learn Not to Love. It appeared on their 2020 album the following year, and Wilson credited as the only songwriter. So (laughs) basically, Wilson was, I guess he was pissed off, and he's like, hey, I got this idea for a song, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And to get revenge on Manson, he's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna make your song ours. I'm just gonna change it around a little. You know, put a little flourish here, put a little flourish there, dust this part off and give that part a new coat of paint, and it'll look slightly different. So yeah, I, I can't blame him. I'd do the same thing. <laughs> I really would. But Wilson later found a bullet in his bed after that. And Manson took credit. He said, I gave him a bullet, the Spurn musician said, because he changed the words to my song. Yeah, (laughs) boo-hoo. Researching part makes Manson seem like such a pitiful little snowflake. You know, boo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. They changed the words to my song. After I caused them all this trouble. <laughs> but since then rock musicians have controversially covered his songs throughout the, the decades. Like I think like one of his songs, My Monkey, kind of a dark little little song. If you go on YouTube, you can find Manson's album, but I if memory serves me correctly, Marilyn Manson covered that song. Which by the way, there's like a very strong connection between Marilyn Manson and Charles Manson. Marilyn Manson having juxtaposed Charles, Manson name, Charles Manson's name with Marilyn Monroe's name, you know, sort of a Hegelian synthesis, you know, like a union of opposites. Some of the others that have uh, covered Charles Manson songs are the Lemonheads' ominous rendition of Your, Your Home is Where You're Happy on their sophomore album. And then Guns N' Roses did Look at Your Game Girl, a hidden bonus track at the end of their covers album, The Spaghetti Incident. Axel Rose, the front man for GNR, donned a Charlie Don't Surf shirt with Manson's face on it on stage during the Use Your Illusion tour, which did not make his, the band's critics very happy, as you can imagine. Yeah. And really, it is kind of a dick move. You know, I I guess you could say that. I, I don't know. Maybe you disagree. Maybe you don't think it was such a dick move. It was the 90s, though, the late 80s and 90s. And there was like this fascination with mass murders and serial killers for some reason. There was even a movie, Natural Born Killers, by Oliver Stone, which dealt with that fascination. It was a strange time. Well, I don't know. When is it not a strange time? This is America. America's always been strange, but most famously, however, like I mentioned, Shock Rock provocateur Marilyn Manson created his stage moniker by juxtaposing Manson's name with that of Marilyn Monroe, and the other members of his band did similar things. Like Stephen Gregory Beard Jr. adopted the name Madonna Wayne Gacy. There's also Ginger Fish. You know, they they take a a, a sexy. Hollywood starlet's name and they'd first name, and then they'd take a serial Killer's last name. At least that's way, the way it was for a while. Eventually, when uh, Zinzum came along, they stopped doing that. But one of these days, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to do a podcast on Marilyn Manson because, you know, why the hell not? I mean, you can't ignore him, he's hard to ignore. but uh, one of uh, Manson's murder scenes served as a recording studio for several artists in the early 90s. Okay, now we're going to talk about Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor. They started renting the property at uh, 10500 Cielo Drive, and that's the house where Sharon Tate was murdered. They rented, he rented that in 1992 to record the Nine Inch Nails EP Broken and the sophomore album The Downward Spiral. The House served as an appropriate setting for their nihilistic ruminations on the downfall of society via sex, drugs, violence, disease, and self-harm. I also, I, if memory serves me correctly, I believe that Trent Reznor's protege, Marilyn Manson, he, at also the Mer- Marilyn Manson and his band recorded, I think Antichrist Superstar was recorded there, if I remember correctly. I might be wrong, or it might might have been one of their it might have been one of their earlier albums, and supposedly, like one of the rumors that I heard was when Manson was recording at that house, Marilyn Manson, with uh Trent producing that some weird noises showed up on some of the tracks that they couldn't identify, some people thought that maybe the place was haunted. I don't know. That's just I'm just throwing that out there. That's just something I heard. I don't know the, I don't know the accuracy of it. You know, some for y'all to discuss among yourselves. But Resner, he had a macabre sense of humor, and he rechristened the studio Pig, which is a nod to the writing that the Manson family left on the walls in people's blood. And he also filmed the frenetic. Video for Gave Up, which had a cameo by his protege, Marilyn Manson. Oh, yeah, and I remember now, Marilyn Manson recorded Portrait of an American Family at the same location in 1993. That's where all of that happened. But Reznor, eventually, he, he came to regret what he did. He didn't understand just how this could make certain people feel until he met Sharon Tate's sister Patricia while recording and he recalled the encounter in a 1997 Rolling Stone interview. But Patricia said, Are you exploiting my sister's death by living in her house? For the first time, the whole thing kind of slapped me in the face, Resner said. No, it's just sort of my own interest in American folklore. It's this place where a weird part of history occurred. I guess it never really struck me before, but it did then. She lost her sister from a senseless, ignorant situation that I don't want to support. When she was talking to me, I realized for the first time, what if it was my sister, I thought. Fuck Charlie Manson. I don't want to be looked at as a guy who supports serial killer bullshit. I went home and cried that night. It made me see there's another side to things, you know? It's one thing to go around with your dick swinging in the wind, acting like it doesn't matter. But when you understand the repercussions that are felt, that's what sobered me up. Realizing what balances out the appeal of the Lawlessness and the lack of morality and that whole thing is the other end of it. The victims who don't deserve that. That's a quote by Trent Reznor. And finally, the Tate House was demolished in 1994. And so, yeah, there's that. I mean... It, it, the whole thing's kind of sad, you know. If maybe, maybe if Manson had done better as a musician, history would be a little different. Maybe he wouldn't be in jail. You know, it's just he chose the wrong path. He was a very damaged person. I mean, he suffered a lot of abuse, and when from a very early age, and you know, he just he he was never right his whole life. Sadly, though, he was very charismatic and he was able to get people to do what he wanted, and he was very unstable. And anyway, I personally, I'm never going to be doing anything like that. I'm never going to be making a song based on Charles Manson. I'm not going to do that. You know, to me, it's it's kind of, the paul walker experience is not going to do that it it's a trope that i think has been done enough you know it's like let manson his influence on music let that die out but anyway that concludes this podcast and i'm got to say if it sounds if the music sounds good to spam it all over the internet Peace out you'll be well everybody